The Gremlin is something that came to be in World War II. The pilots were talking about these little green monsters on their planes breaking their engines. And this exact idea of little green monsters breaking your machinery, that's, that's what Gremlin's about. Two in the morning when everything's on fire, your heart's beating, you don't want to screw up, you don't want to make things worse, but you got to do things quickly. It's, it's a tough spot to be in. Welcome to 14 Minutes of SaaS, the show where you can listen to the stories and opinions of founders of the world's most remarkable SaaS scale-ups. Welcome to part one of a three-part mini-series with Colton Andres, co-founder and CEO of Gremlin. Gremlin loves breaking IT systems in order to make them more resilient. It's still less than three years old and has raised $27 million. Gremlin counts companies like Under Armour, Expedia, and Twilio's clients. Colton talks about his formative years and how he cut his teeth in chaos engineering in Amazon and Netflix. So we have Colton Andrus, CEO of Gremlin with us. Delighted to have you, Colton. Thank you very much. Appreciate the opportunity. Cool stuff. Are you enjoying Collision? Uh, here it's, in New Orleans? It's an interesting one to be at. Uh, New Orleans is a fun city and it's a bit different than the tech conferences I'm normally at. A much wider exposure. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, so can you tell me a little bit about, about you uh, before we start talking about Gremlin and, and some of the amazing things you've been doing. Tell me a little bit about your life, Colton, uh, where you come from originally and, and uh, how you got to where you are today. Yeah, my dad was in the Army, so I grew up all over. Uh, wow. New York, uh, Alabama, Kansas, Utah. Since being married and having kids, I've lived even in a few more places, Seattle, the Bay, here and there. So I'm a bit from everywhere. Um, interesting tidbit, I've had a job since I was 11. Uh, when I was 10 or 11 and I wanted to buy a video game, my dad said, cool, go get a job. So I was a paper boy, I was a line cook, I was a dishwasher, I was a sous chef. Uh, all before I got into tech. And then I did tech support and uh, Q&A and finally got into software engineering and, and then clear down the path, you know, got to Amazon and Netflix before starting my own company. So you really, you really uh, worked your way up. Uh, coming from support, that's kind of the hard route, uh, uh, but probably a, a, a great learning route as well. Tell me a bit about your time um, uh, with Amazon and with Netflix. Uh, tell us a bit about your experience in those two companies. Yeah, so Amazon, my favorite place to, uh, to kind of go and get your butt kicked and, and that refining fire. I was on the retail website availability team. So if the website went down, that was on us. And we did a lot of pro or we did a lot of reactive preparation. Things where we would, you know, ensure that teams had scaled and that they were having good monitoring. We would own all of those postmortems or incident reviews. Probably the funnest thing was being a call leader. So the call leader program at Amazon is invite only. And I was invited to serve as one. And these are the five to 10 people that, there's a rotation, but if you get paged on your day, it's your job to fix the retail website. Regardless of what it takes, you know, if you need to get on a, if you need to put someone with a server on a plane, you can do it. And, you know, being part of that, I got to listen to all of the big failures uh, while I was there. And so that was, it was just fun to sit on. I'm a bit of a, a Sev1 junkie, I guess you would say. 
And and is it a is it as tough a company? It sounds pretty tough. Is it as tough as they say it is? Amazon. A lot of people, or is there is it just some people like to to give out a lot? What's I think, your take on that? I think some people over exaggerate. I think it's a reasonable company. I think they have good values. In fact, I've taken a lot of their values for Gremlin because I believe in them. They they want you to work hard. It's scrappy. Uh, it's definitely you come in and you do hard work. But it it has that kind of classic tech work hard play hard feel. Uh, a lot of people have a good time when when the day's over and hang out and there's good camaraderie as well. Yeah, I, I guess there must be some good values there because the success of the retail business and now they're generating more SaaS revenue than Salesforce.com. I mean, it's quite a phenomenal company really. Um, tell me, why did you move to Netflix? And tell us a bit about that. Yeah, so I, I actually managed uh, for my last year, year and a half at Amazon, which was a great learning experience, but was very difficult. Uh, it, was, it was a bit of getting my butt kicked, inheriting some goals that didn't have the team to reach and, and struggling to achieve them. And so I'd done my four-year tour of duty and uh, my stock had vested and I decided it was time to look for something else. I'd been in Seattle for four years and I had missed the sunshine. Uh, my wife loves it up there, but I'll, I'd love to be up there in the summer, uh, not necessarily <laughs> in the winter or the spring. And so I, yeah, I started looking for interesting teams doing interesting work. I was actually at a conference and I heard a great talk about the circuit breaker pattern, which is just like a circuit breaker in your home. You know, trip, trip something instead of sending too much power through it and causing a fire or blowing up, which is exactly how it works in the software world. And I, I was really impressed by that talk and that person. And so I went to Netflix because of the chaos monkey and because of the chaos engineering workflow. But I joined this person's team because I really respected and admired them. Wow. And so that really is the seed that started Gremlin, I guess, that experience. Yeah, I mean, no, not, okay. not really. So, okay. so we built tooling similar to what I have at Gremlin today for Amazon. That was really the first place. We took this idea, the, the manual game day process, where uh, someone would go in and pull cords or they'd shut down hosts to see what would happen. And we built tools to do that. That was, my, that was actually my project uh, as a younger engineer was, Go figure out how to design it, build it, make it safe, make it scalable, make it something that can be programmatically interacted with, as well as classic Amazon. And so, you know, my my bit of ego there before Chaos Monkey, before anyone had heard of Chaos Monkey, we had built a more comprehensive system, you know, years before at Amazon. But then, while after seeing after seeing the success at Amazon and then hearing what Netflix had done at Chaos Monkey, it felt like a perfect fit to go join Netflix and learn more there. And how hard is it to break things in it or to create a system that breaks things in a systematic way? How hard is it to walk that fine line where you don't cause more problems uh, by, by trying to set up those tests? How difficult is it to develop that? It's a great question because it's really easy to break things in an irrevocable way. But one of the things we focus on is the ability to revert attacks, to give people an undo button, a little bit of a safety net. And so when you want to properly clean up an attack and things might have gotten gone totally astray, that takes a bit more subtlety. There's also the concept of security. You know, when we built this for internal companies, you could kind of avoid security. You know, it's an in-house tool, no one can get to it, it'll be okay. When you're selling that tool, 
the, the focus on security has been a big one for us. You okay. want to make sure that people can be comfortable that you know, someone else isn't going to run attacks against their infrastructure or be able to access any of their data or personal information. How would you, so you're a big proponent of the chaos engineering movement and there seems to be communities popping up around the globe. Tell me a little bit about how would you describe in layman's terms what chaos engineering is? Yeah, the analogy I always give when I'm home for the holidays or, or with my family is that of the vaccine or the flu shot. We want to inject something harmful in order to test those defense mechanisms and really to also spurn them into action. And I think the same principle applies well in distributed systems. We want to go cause little bits of harm, the types of things that are going to happen anyway. And at scale, they happen and they happen frequently. But then we want the opportunity to understand not just technically how do we handle it, but socially how do we handle it. I I tell the story of um, every on-call that I've been on, every team that I join where it's okay, you help support the software. The training is essentially here's a pager, good luck. And maybe there's a run book and it's out of date. And so, you know, I'd really like to get to a world where the first time you're on call, somebody runs a mock experiment with you. They, they give you an opportunity to test with a safety net where you can ask questions and understand how things behave. Because two in the morning when everything's on fire, your heart's beating, you don't want to screw up, you don't want to make things worse, but you got to do things quickly. It's, it's a tough spot to be in. So it's a kind of a sandbox training environment or... Would you call it that, or how would you? How would you? Uh... <laughs> I think yes. When you're running it in dev or test, it's a it's like a sandbox test environment, and you have a little bit more safety there. But ultimately, you have to run this in production. It's, yeah, it's production where the money's made. That's where the customers live. Yeah. That's what that's what people will have to operate if things go wrong. Sure. So I think really less about sandbox or production and staging. It's more about these safety nets. You want to make it. You want to give people the opportunity to do these kind of experiments safely. I read somewhere that, um, I think you said something about not wanting to test for bad code, but you're more interested in testing APIs and microservices. Um, And you said that that area of testing APIs, which is so pertinent today, has been fairly overlooked. Could you tell me a little bit more about, about, about that? Yeah, APIs, so the team I was on at Netflix, we owned the proxy that all the traffic flowed through and the API that fanned out to all those mid-tier services. So if any mid-tier service failed and we didn't handle it well, the Netflix API failed, which means Twitter and Reddit were afire with unhappy customers. And so while it may not seem like this sexy, important part of Netflix, it is in the middle of everything and super core. So I think that you know, we have to get past just the, oh, does the user interface work? Or, oh, you know, can I handle host rebooting into these more complicated scenarios of, of, the, of this microservice architecture that's become more prevalent. Okay, okay. Uh, do people ever um, call your company gremlins? It just appears, it just came into my head. And do, does it annoy you when they do? <laughs> do um, they ever use the plural? <laughs> uh, some people, I was asked earlier today before I went on stage if it's singular or plural. Uh, it's been singular, but it, it doesn't bother me too much. Okay, okay. There's a couple of other companies out there with similar names and, you know, no disrespect to them. I wish, I wish it wasn't confusing. Uh, <laughs> but I think in terms of failure as a service and software companies, we're fairly unique in that regard. The, the thing I'll say is, 
the gremlins, they don't come from the movies. A lot of people think that. That's not, that's not where the inspiration comes from. The gremlin is something that came to be in World War II. The pilots were talking about these little green monsters on their planes breaking their engines. And this exact idea of little green monsters breaking your machinery, that's, that's what Gremlin's about. Okay, that's brilliant. Actually, I never knew that. And, and I, I guess that's where the idea of the movie comes from, except they turn them into real things as opposed to paranoid imaginations. <laughs> yeah, the movie doesn't really hold to that canon no. too strongly. <laughs> it doesn't. <laughs> uh, evil furry toy is a bit different. Um, so uh, what sort of... You, you, you obviously work incredibly hard. You've been working hard since you were a kid. A big, big work ethic. You look like a pretty relaxed, cool dude. You look like a guy who's got a life outside of work. Do you have any hobbies? What do you, what sort of, what do, you do when you're not changing the world? Yeah, so I have five kids, so that's my first hobby. Uh, you know, going wow. to plays and, and spending time with them. I'm the kind of dad who'd like, who, who raised some of my kids by just putting them on my lap and playing video games. So you can still min-max even in that world. Um, I, yeah, I'm a gamer, so Fortnite uh, is a big one I've been playing lately. Overwatch before that. You know, some of the strategy games. Uh, I grew up playing Magic the Gathering and, and some of the card games. So I'm, I'm a pretty classic geek in that regard. In part two of our mini-series, Colton will dive more deeply into chaos engineering. He chats about his passion for making the internet more reliable and touches on the challenges of executing on a very technical sales cycle. He also tells us about the concept of the blast radius and how that applies to business and talks about solving for real pain and the advantages of wearing many hats as the CEO of a startup. It's interesting, I was on stage with a gentleman earlier that talked about 15 month sales cycles. And I'll tell you what, if we had 15 month sales cycles, we probably wouldn't be a company. One thing I learned with, with one of the projects we did at Netflix is machine learning is hard. You know, we can't just rub some, some fairy dust on it and then it all works. Like there's a lot of there's a lot of effort that goes into that. You've been listening to 14 Minutes of SaaS. Thank you to Ketsu for music provided under a Creative Commons license. This episode was brought to you by me, Stephen Cummins. If you enjoyed the podcast, please don't forget to share it with your network, subscribe to the series, and give the show a rating.